He did make some. We're going to learn from his greatest mistake. And next week, I'm going to bring a message called Meet Me at the Manger. Now, the first Sunday of January, I'm going to be bringing a message. Uh, you know, every new year, I trust God to speak to me. And New Year's Eve, of course, many of us are going to be here with um, Dennis Jernigan, who is going to lead us into the presence as midnight approaches. And uh, the youth are going to start leading us in worship at 9. They're going to go for about 45 minutes. Can I say it, Jonathan? Jonathan's going to do one of his Christian sanctified rap. Okay? And um, then comes Dennis Jernigan. And I'm trusting God that when midnight arrives, we're going to be on our knees. The presence is going to fill this place. And God's going to give us a word for the new year. And I really believe God wants to do that. But I'm going to bring a message on the state of our nation and, and on Bible prophecy and how are we to enter 2015 prepared in God to leave a mark for him. So you're going to hear Bible prophecy, a word about the truth about our nation, and where we go from here. And that's the first Sunday of January. Now, let me talk to you. Let me read a little bit here about Abraham's greatest mistake. It says, now Sarai, this is Genesis 16, 1 through 4, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid servant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. All you ladies say she really wanted a baby. <laughs> After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, look what happened in the home. Her mistress became despised in her eyes. Hagar despised the lady of the house. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've got a word right for us today. I pray that it will be quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it will divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. Now you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Now, at the time these passages took place, Abraham was 85 and Sarah was 75. Now, they had been in the promised land for about 10 years. And before they were in the promised land, as we shared a few weeks ago, they made a pit stop in Haran that ended up being a five-year stay. And before Haran, they were, that is, Abram and Sarai, were married in Ur of the Chaldees for a number of years. So we don't know how long Abram and Sarai have been married, but we know at least, it was at least 20-plus years, 25 years, when what we just read took place. Now here was the problem. There was a major problem. 
And the problem was that God had told Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he promised him. He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Well, that presupposes I've got to have my first child. Or how can I have descendants that are as numerous as the sands, grains of sand on the seashore? How can I be the father of anything if I'm not first the father of one? So God's promise required that Abram sire a child. It required it. But now here we see from all the way back from Ur of the Chaldees all the way up to now 10 years into the promised land, Sarai is barren. No child. Major problem. And this began to work on them. They had a word from God. They knew that God had spoken, but where was it? Where is the child? Where is it? Where is the materialization? Where is the appearance of this promise? Lord, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Abram twice decided he would help God out. How many of you have ever tried to help God out? How many of you can say that really went well? Right? So twice in Scripture, the first time happened when Abram looked around and he saw in his household a servant that had been born in his household whose name was Eliezer. And he began to draw close to this little guy, just probably like a son type to him. And he began to wonder if Eleazar couldn't fit the bill. Why can't Eleazar, because we got this barrenness problem, God. But Eleazar, here he is, he's born in my house. No, he didn't come for me, but he's born in my house. Can't we just make this work? Can't this work, Lord? God answered him in no uncertain terms. He said, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Well, that makes it very clear. I can't adopt and make this happen. This is going to have to be from me. And then the second time we read about in uh, the passages we just read together, Abram and Sarah have reached a place, church, where it looks to them like it's not going to happen through Sarah. The fulfillment of this promise is just not going to come about through Sarah. And to tell you the truth, and I'm glad the Bible tells us the truth about the people in it, shows us their fatal flaws, their mistakes, their shortcomings, their, their lapses in faith. And right now what we've got going on in this account is a lapse in Abraham's faith. His faith is fainting. His faith is faltering. And so is Sarah's. They've waited, they've waited, they've waited. They believed and trusted and waited some more. They're getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror. And they're realizing we're getting old. Where's God? Where's God? I don't get it. And they came to a conclusion. They said, well, it must be. It just must be. They started using their reasoning, which is why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So they began to lean on their own understanding. They said, this isn't working out, but we, we must have somehow missed the way that God is going to do this. And, and they have concluded that it's not going to happen through Sarah. So the first couple of faith, the man who is to become the father of our faith, the first one to be, to be declared righteous by faith, 
did what we've all done at one time or another. Here's what they did. Here's, it began this way. It began with a conflict coming between Abram's timetable and God's timetable. I don't get it. See, when we receive a promise from God, we're not aware of it, but, but when we get a promise from God, we immediately attach a timeline to it, a, a deadline to it. This promise from God is going to happen by this, this, and this, and this. We conceptualize the way it's going to happen. We conceptualize when it's going to happen. And invariably, we discover that God's time is not my time. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts, the Bible says. And and I'm going to add to it. His timing is almost never my timing. God always waits longer. I was accused Friday night of not being able to wait on things. In La Madeline's. I was accused by two females who were in this room. Because it seemed to me that they were just taking forever. And I made a comment about it and suddenly I was rebuked. You don't know how to wait. I do know how to wait. But how many of you can say, I don't love waiting? Anybody in here love waiting? I want to meet you. I want you to lay hands on me at the end of this message. If you love waiting. So here's what happened. They said to themselves, God is taking too long. We don't understand. We know we've got a word from God, but he's taking too long. He's just taking too long. We believe we're on the right track. Our desire for our Isaac is legitimate. It's healthy. It's normal. And it's biblical. So where is it? And they started thinking the way we start thinking. Apparently, I have just not understood the way it's to come to pass. That's it. It's the way it's to come to pass. That's it. That's what I've missed. I know that it's coming, but it's not going to come the way I assumed. It's not going to come by me just sitting around trusting God. God must be expecting me to take matters into my own hands and quit sitting around waiting on him. I'm to just do it. What could possibly be wrong with moving things along and making this happen? God just needs my help. Can I tell you something today? Never has God ever needed our help. What he does look for is our faith. But he doesn't need our help. Matter of fact, as soon as we say, I think I'm going to help God, we just threw mud in the mix. So Sarah, listen to this, Sarah longing with every atom of her being to hold a child in her arms. I'm 75. I've waited for 75 years. I'm an old woman now. I I want to hold a child in my arms. And Abraham longing to bounce a little boy on his knees and also to look into the eye of the one who is the guarantee that all the promises of God to him are going to come to pass. They stepped out of faith into presumption. Now, here's presumption. Presumption is when you assume without getting a word from God. When you assume, you presume. You assume, well, he must want my help. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to make this promise come to pass. I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to kick the door down. We assume that that's what we're to do without having a word from God that that is what we're to do. 
and we speak, uh, step out in presumption. Remember when David prayed? He said, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Pre- presumption is when you say, I am presuming that God wants me to do this, that, or the other, and I have no word from him. I'm just presuming. It's the way it looks to me. There is a way that seems right to our natural eye. But the end of it is the way of death. One commentator wrote this, and I wish I had written it, but here's what he said. Catch this, this is so important. This message is worth this quote. He said, in every relation and situation in life, there is some cross for us to bear. Much of the exercise of faith consists in patiently submitting, waiting for the Lord's time, and using only those means which he appoints for the removal of the cross. Selah. Think about that. Only those means God appoints to carry us through the valley to the other side. Not our own best idea, but walking by faith. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we as Christians, here's how we obtain promises, not by making it happen in the flesh. We obtain promises by imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So let me tell you about two twins today, faith and patience. Can you say those with me, faith and patience? See, faith never really brings to you what you're believing for unless you mix faith with patience, which helps you to hang around long enough to receive what faith is bringing. Faith and patience are brother and sister, twins, siblings. They work together. And we love the faith part, but we don't like the patience part. And here's Abraham and Sarah. They got the faith part. I know that God is going to do this. I know I'm going to be the father of many nations. I received the word from God. But this patience thing is killing me. The Bible says, unfortunately, and Abraham hearkened to the voice of his wife. Most of the time, guys, our wives give us good counsel. But every once in a while, you better hear God. Sorry, wives, I'm just telling the truth. And you wives, we have a lot of wisdom, us men, but we're not always right. Sometimes you need to hear God. He hearkened to the voice of his wife, but it wasn't the voice of God. And in the same way, how many times do we turn aside from believing that God is going to bring this to pass? And we think that we're going to bring it to pass. Now, so he turned to his, his poor, carnal, weak, feeble, fleshly hands to bring a divine promise to pass. And Abraham took Hagar as his second wife, and they conceived a child, a son, and named him Ishmael, father of the Arab nation. Now, I want to tell you something here. Let's get real about house and home. Abraham loved Ishmael. Abraham loved this boy. This boy came from him. And let me tell you what I think Abraham was saying to himself and with Sarah. He was saying, God honored our plan. God has put a big amen on our idea. Ishmael is going to be a wonderful heir to everything that God has promised me. But you know what the Bible reveals? Almost immediately, you begin to see cracks in the scheme. Like any work of the flesh. Listen carefully. 
Cracks are going to appear in our schemes any time we turn to the flesh rather than waiting on God and we birth an Ishmael. And church, virtually everybody in this room has somewhere along the way birthed an Ishmael. And Ishmael is when you say, I'm going to do this myself. I'm stepping outside of faith. I'm going to move in presumption. And through the strength of the flesh, we conceive and we birth an Ishmael. Ishmael is of the flesh. Isaac is of faith, of the spirit. Ishmael is born of unbelief. Isaac is born of faith. Ishmael represents our own best efforts. Isaac represents the move of God. Ishmael represents the flesh. Isaac, the spirit. And the Bible says inside of you and me, there is a battle going on each and every day. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So Ishmael is really a beautiful picture of the flesh inside of us. And Isaac is a beautiful picture of the work of the spirit. The work of the spirit. Cracks began to appear. Ishmael stands in the Bible as a type and a shadow and a picture and an illustration of what happens when our faith faints. We cease trusting God and we act hastily and we act unwisely instead of waiting on the Lord to move. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Wait upon the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. But they didn't wait. They didn't wait. Now I want to look at the consequences of what happened in Abraham and Sarah's life because they stepped out of the spirit into the flesh. And remember the Bible says that these stories, these accounts that are true historical accounts are given to you and to me so that we will learn from them and not make the same mistakes. So how many of you would rather learn from the Bible than the hard way? You see? Amen. So here comes Ishmael. He's born. Here's what I see it did. First, this ill-advised decision brought sorrow to the home. The work of the flesh brought sorrow to the home. When Hagar saw that she was carrying Abraham's child, she didn't even try to conceal her contempt for the first lady. The former slave was now put on an equal plane, an equal level with Sarah. And how many of you ladies can say, I see trouble all over that? This woman who was, who was there to help Sarah was all of a sudden looking Sarah in the eyeball and sticking her tongue out at her essentially and saying, I gave him a child and you couldn't. And it did not go over well at all. The Bible says, and when she saw that she conceived, that is Hagar saw that she conceived, Sarah was despised in her eyes. A competitive spirit entered that home. The flesh always brings bad things to the home. Your Ishmaels always bring bad things to the home. Affections were divided now. Abraham had to show affection to both. Loyalty was strained. And peace is now replaced with bitter rivalry. This home that was a home of faith called of God. I mean, this man that had a call on him like nobody in his generation. Yet he now has let an Ishmael, the work of the flesh, have a major part in his home. And it brought trouble. You know what gets me? If only they had waited a few more years. Because the 21st chapter of Genesis tells us all about the boy Ishmael growing up. And it says that when he was about 13 years old, Sarah called Abraham into the bedroom and said, I got news for you. What's up? She says, 
I'm pregnant at 90. He was 100. Every man in here say, go Abraham. <laughs> so here's 13-year-old Ishmael. And now the promise comes to pass. And I want you to see what it says. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age according to the set time of the Lord. Now I want to just pluck that phrase for a second and just look at it. At the set time. I want you to catch this. This tells us that our God is a God of perfect, exquisite timing. Our God is a God of timing. He doesn't go with the flow. He doesn't, he never says oops. And he never says, well, I'll be. He knows exactly what he's doing, precisely where he's going, millennia before it ever happens. And there is an exact, express, exquisite, perfect timing for everything that God does. So it says, at the set time. So this whole time, they were confused and wringing their hands and filled with angst and trying to make it all happen on their own. If they had only been able to peer into the portals of glory, and into God's heart, they would have seen that he had a calendar and there was a day marked on it. And it said in that little square, Isaac conceived. He had a perfect time, a set time for all this to come to pass. And where does that leave you and me with the promises of God? Let me tell you where it leaves us. Every promise of God, are you ready? Every promise of God to you and to me is like a seed. And inside that seed is a timer. And there is a time when God has decreed that that seed will come forth. The Bible says in due season you will reap if you do not faint. That means in the right season your promise is due. You know, we've got women in here that are pregnant. And if I say to that woman, hey, I, I see you're expecting a child, when is it? do, she'll tell you exactly what the doctor has said. Because all of life is built on this principle that with everything there is a season and a designated time for every purpose under heaven. And so every promise impregnates us by faith with a blessing that is coming but there is a due date for it. Now, I'm going to tell you exactly why God did it this way. Because when this happened, he was 100, she was 90. Why did God do it this way? Let me show you why. Because God wanted Isaac to be a miracle child, a product of faith, not of flesh. And every promise he brings to pass in your life and mine, he wants it to be a miracle answer, a miracle provision, a miracle materialization of a promise that he gave us. He waited till Abraham and Sarah were so old in years, far beyond reproductive years, so that nobody could get the credit for the birth of Isaac but God himself. <laughs> Isaac is a type of Christ. Jesus was a miracle conception. Holy Ghost moved across Mary and that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. And so you got here a type of Messiah, a type of Christ in Isaac, that he was born to a couple that were far beyond the ability to, to reproduce. And yet it happened, and it happened by faith, not by the work of the flesh. So now you've got in the household two things. You've got the work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit. Yeah. 
in the same house. Work of the flesh here, work of the spirit here, living in the same house. I want you to know today, church, that how many of you are believing God for something today? Come on, raise your hand high. If there is something you're believing God to do, and how many of you can also say, I've been waiting a while? Let me see. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm preaching to the right crowd because guess what? That's the Christian life. We walk by faith and not by sight. And all the promises of God come to pass by faith mixed with patience. And our God, we need to realize today, is a God of incredible timing. There was a set time for Isaac to be born, a set time for Jesus to be born. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. There was a set time for Jesus to die. There was a set time for Pentecost. The Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that's talking about timing. So there was a set time, a microsecond, when God had decreed the Spirit of God would be poured out upon all mankind. And at that set time, the Spirit fell. Now let me excite you with one more thing. There is also, since there was a set time for Him to be born, a set time for Him to die, a set time for the Spirit to fall, there is a set time marked on God's calendar right now as I speak when the trumpet is going to blow and Jesus is going to return to earth the second time. It's a set time. It's a set time. And when that time comes, even Jesus said, no one knows the time but your Father who is in heaven. But that time is going to come and God's going to turn to his Son who is sitting right now at his right hand. And he's going to say, Son, it's time. Go get your bride. And that trumpet's going to blow and you're going to be walking along just minding your own business. And all of a sudden, boop, you're going to be looking at the one who died for you. At the set time. At the set time. So first, Ishmael brought sorrow to the home. Second, Ishmael brought a divided home. The Bible reveals that the work of the flesh persecuted the work of the Spirit. I'm going to say that again. The work of the flesh persecuted the work of the Spirit. Ishmael, work of the flesh. Isaac, work of the Spirit. Ishmael of unbelief. Isaac of faith. Ishmael, out of the will of God. Isaac, the will of God. When the little boy Isaac was born into the home, Ishmael became eaten up with resentment that this little guy was now capturing part of his father's heart and it caused division. And one day Sarah looked out the kitchen window into the backyard. She saw something that made her blood boil. The Bible says Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which was born to Abraham, mocking Isaac. Now by now, Ishmael's 15 and Isaac's about 2. So you've got this great big guy, this teenager, giving this little fella, Isaac, the son of promise. Different Bible versions replace the word mocking with persecuting, laughing at, scoffing, making fun of, deriding, teasing. We would call it today bullying. Ishmael was bullying this little guy making his life miserable in the house. The work of the flesh always persecutes the work of the Spirit. The work of the flesh always stands against the work of the Spirit. The work of the flesh will always, in our life, persecute, attack, and deride 
the work of the Spirit. Our Ishmaels will always mock our Isaacs. Are you following me today? Whatever your Ishmael is, let me tell you what it will do, guarantee you. It will resist the will of God for your life, your Ishmael. It will resist the glorification of Jesus in your life. Your Ishmael will rise up against your spiritual progress every time. The flesh wars against the spirit, Paul said, and the spirit wars, battles against the flesh. You have inside of you, some have used this illustration, a black dog and a white dog. Which one wins? The one you feed the most. The work of the spirit or the work of the flesh. So Ishmael brought a sorrowful house and he brought a divided house because now you've got two that are against each other that are tearing at the loyalties and tearing at the affection and tearing at the hearts of this family. Oh, that we would pray and really be aware of the price that is paid when we birth an Ishmael because watch this. This didn't just happen to Abraham. He was fully involved. He gave his body to it, his soul to it, his will to it. He birthed it. And now, after time goes by, he realizes the price he's got to pay. And that's the way it always is with sin. Sin always looks good at first. It's the devil's job. It's his art form to make sin look good, to dress it up in a nice suit to dress it up in a pretty dress, to, to make it look attractive, to make it look appealing. He makes sin look that way. But once you buy into it, before long you realize that an Ishmael has been birthed and it's, it's bringing disharmony to your home. It's bringing division to you. It's, it's tearing the house up. Matter of fact, the third consequence was a crisis in the house. The Bible tells us that Sarah had years before when Hagar first got pregnant and began to despise Sarah. The Bible says Abraham, per Sarah, gave her the boot. Actually, Sarah did it. Sarah kicked her out. Sarah kicked her out. You're going to despise me. You're, you're going to undermine me. I'm the first lady of the house. You seem to have forgotten who I am. Uh, take a hike and kicked her out. But God appeared and said, receive Hagar back in. And they took her back into the household. Now watch this. She, she did that years before. But when Sarah saw Ishmael mocking and jeering and belittling her son, she went to Abraham and said, she didn't make a suggestion. She didn't say, honey, would you pray about this? She didn't say, Abraham, I wish you would really consider as time goes by doing something that I'm just going to suggest you might want to do. No, 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 no. She used two, two words that are extremely strong. She said, cast out. How many of you men can say, I know that voice? Come on, man. When, when it, she, she was not making a suggestion. She was saying, this is it. She said, this bondwoman and her son, cast her out. For the son of this bondwoman is not going to be an heir with my son. And she put her foot down. Now, remember, follow the metaphor here. She's essentially saying, this work of the flesh has got to go. This work of unbelief has got to go. This, the work of the flesh and the work of the spirit cannot coexist in the same house forever. Are you following me, church? Because this is right where we live. And the Bible says he did it. Listen to this sad account. Abraham rose up early in the morning. 
before the camp was awakened. And he took Hagar, and he pressed into her hand some bread. And upon her shoulder he bound a bottle of water. Now stop a minute. Let's be real. He's looking at her. She's looking at him. He's putting water over her shoulder and giving her food. He's packing her up to leave. Do you think he was just sitting in there saying, kumbaya, hama, 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 I'm just doing the will of God? Uh-uh. It was tearing him up. She's looking him in the eye. So's Ishmael. What are you doing, Dad? What's this about? Where am I going? Where are we going? See, Ishmael's are those things that are works of the flesh. It's so much easier to birth one than to get rid of one. Well, son, God's going to take care of you. Hagar, God's going to take care of you. I must do what he told me to do. Now, stay with me, folks. This is a picture. I'm not trying to make Abraham look like a bad guy. Ishmael in the home was not good for the home. A work of the flesh in the home is not good for the home. A work of the flesh in the house of our faith, our personal lives, is not good for us. There comes a time when Sarah is like the voice of the Holy Spirit. Cast it out. This has got to go. This can't stay. You can't have the work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit coexisting in the same house. One or the other is going to have to win. One or the other is going to have to remain. There was a crisis in the house. This wasn't easy for Abraham. It broke his heart. It broke Hagar's heart. It broke Ishmael's heart. And Sarah, well, she was just mad. There was a crisis in the house, and the crisis had to be resolved. And it was resolved by the decision to remove the work of the flesh from the presence of Isaac so that Isaac, the work of the Spirit, could grow unencumbered, unpersecuted, with air to breathe into everything God had called him to be. So here's the meaning for us in a nutshell. We all have to deal with Ishmael's that we have birthed. Compromising friendship. I had to deal with those. A fleshly destructive habit that we have coddled and defended. I want you to notice with me. God allowed Ishmael to stay for 15 years. But then the time came. The time came. That particular thing that is hindering your walk with God. You know what an Ishmael does. It hinders your walk with God. Persecutes what God is doing in your life. Quenches the spirit of God in our life. So God comes to us, even if he's allowed it to be there for a while. And we have thought he understood. Well, he didn't understand, but the day of reckoning always comes with an Ishmael. And God came and said, today's the day. Now it's got to go. Isaac has got to grow. So we see Abraham obeying, even when it hurt, when it caused anguish to his heart. Still he said, goodbye, goodbye. I can just picture it. Bye, son. I'll pray for you. You didn't come by faith. 
Now let me make this positive at the end. Some of you are going, that old Abraham, that was mean. Uh Uh-uh, it was the word of God. There is a price for Ishmael's, and it's always hard to let go. If it's not hard to let go, it wasn't an Ishmael. Here's the good news. Once Ishmael was gone, peace, joy, and the freedom to move forward in God's will was released. And that boy Isaac grew up to be a man of God. Abraham moved forward into all the promises of God. The Abrahamic household flourished under the blessing of God. Once Ishmael was gone. What's your Ishmael today? Can I give you one last illustration? Ishmael represents our own best efforts to get saved. Isaac represents the only way to get saved. By faith in Jesus Christ. Ishmael is, I'm going to make God's will happen. I'm going to get saved myself. Isaac was, I'm going to trust God to do it. And Isaac is a picture of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, church, the only way to get saved is to run headlong into that full, beautiful, blood-soaked cross of Christ and say, Lord, I'm coming to the only way, your way, the Isaac way, the Jesus way, the way of faith, and I'm trusting you to cover my sin. And then and there the Spirit of God comes into you and you are forgiven of your sin, raised from the spiritual dead, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and go from hell-bound to heaven-bound, from lost to saved, from blind to sight, from dead to alive by Christ. So let's stand together today, can we? And we're going to have a moment. We just come to God. Can I just encourage you to put your eyes on him? Because this is a moment of spiritual surgery. See, God's going to grace some people in this sanctuary to let go of Ishmael just like he graced Abraham. to cast out the work of the flesh. If you can say today, Pastor Jeff, I've got an Ishmael, and this is spoken right to me. And I know that it's time for that Ishmael to go so that Isaac, the work of the Spirit in me, can flourish. Raise your hand. Bless you, many of you. How many of you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've let an Ishmael go, and it did set me free. Let me see. Amen. I want to say a prayer with you. If there's an Ishmael and you need the grace, pray this with me, and the rest of you can pray if you like. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died to set me free in every sense of the word. As you graced Abraham to let go of Ishmael, grace me to cast out the work of the flesh. That thing I have cleaved to, held to, and even loved, help me to let go for the highest good. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.